Well, I'm excited today as we begin a brand new series, and we want to send special love out to everyone connecting with us, especially our uh, family at Kindle and new Pastor Ralph. God bless you. Welcome aboard. And we pray that today would be a special day for everyone at the Kindle campus. But also to those joining us through church online across the nation, around the world, may God touch you in a special way as we begin the new series together, The Jesus Conversations. Now, some of the most awkward moments in my life have involved conversations, uh, usually with people that matter to me, about topics that matter to me and them, and yet somehow involve controversy, which usually means that it involves some unspoken emotions, you know what I'm talking about, and some level of uncertainty on my part about what to do next. I mean, they matter to me, the topic matters to me, and I'm wondering, My mind is spinning like that little icon on the computer screen, searching for a next step. You know, what's going on? What can I say next? How can I help bring some understanding to some of this confusion? And and I'm wondering if you've been there. I mean, you're feeling this. I'm not alone in this, right? You're feeling like your skill set conversationally could use an upgrade, right? And I'll share one of those awkward moments with you later in this talk. But I want to say first that we owe Joseph Grinney a great debt of gratitude. He has done a huge service for us in his best-selling book, Crucial Conversations. Tools for talking when stakes are high. And you don't have to read the book to know what he's talking about. Um, How do you handle potential minefields of misunderstanding where anger and hurt feelings rise? How can you help make talking a safer experience? Imagine being able to talk about almost anything without being abrasive, but instead being persuasive. Wouldn't that be something? And not just in difficult business conversations with your boss or your colleagues or your customers or your, um, your clients, but how about in your group? You ever snagged in conversation there? Things suddenly got quiet and awkward? Or how about in your ministry? Or how about in your home, in your family, with your teenager, with your kids, with your spouse? I mean, ever had a crucial conversation snag with your spouse? Did you see this? This is the most interesting man in the world, and the caption reads, behind every angry woman stands a man who has absolutely no idea what he did wrong. Crucial conversation needed. Stephen Covey in his About This Book says, this book is one of the key thought leadership contributions of our time. So it's been helpful to me. I recommend it to you. And I will say, you're welcome in advance because I predict if you use this, you will have reason to thank me. Crucial conversations, tools for talking when stakes are high. Why am I bringing it up? Because we've all had them. And did you know Jesus did too? Jesus did too. And would you be surprised to learn that Jesus models for us how to do it? How to have crucial conversation when stakes are high. When people you care about are there, the topic really matters, the person really matters, identity is on the line, community is in the balance, eternity is at stake, and yet Jesus... Jesus does it with such emotional intelligence that a way is opened where there seemed to be no way. And God's life-changing love is shared. 
our series, The Jesus Conversations, is about opening windows into personal encounters where Jesus engages conversation with people that matter. And, uh, and many times the conversation involves controversy of some kind, personal, social, cultural, moral controversy. He enters a hotbed of, uh, of topics explosive in our culture, topics like racism, sexual trauma, consuming greed, power politics. These are going to be informing our series from conversations Jesus has. And yet he brings words of hope and healing and, and truth that liberate into the conversation. By the way, that's what the gospel message is. Words full of hope, healing, and truth that sets us free. Now, no shortage of controversy in our day, huh? And yet we have a crying need for healthier ways of conversation, for hope, don't we? Without hope, we die. So how do we enter the hard conversation with Christian hope? If you've ever wondered, then we've got some answers in the series. And not just about holding a position or winning an argument, but rather being winsome to win the person. We want to learn from the master and do something crucial, engage the conversation, hopefully in a way that will bring hope. And we begin with two of the most famous conversations that Jesus ever had. One is with a lawyer, the other with a lonely woman. And both of them are dealing with something that today we would call racism. In Luke chapter 10, the first story, a lawyer comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's not just asking, how can I go to heaven when I die? He's asking, as an expert in the law, what is the secret to leading a life that is filled with eternal quality, a life that is God-pleasing? And here's a hint to Jesus' emotional IQ. In responding, Jesus asks a question. And it's a question that first shows respect to a law student, a student of the law, and then it actually gives him a chance to share his take on it, respect for his opinion. So Jesus asked in verse 26, what's written in the law? And how do you read it? First lesson, conversation, crucial conversation involves listening and asking the right questions. You want to do something crucial? Engage in the conversation, listen and ask questions so that you'll understand better before you talk. James chapter one underlines this for us. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to speak, slow to speak. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Jesus does that. Even though the guy's motivation was to test him, to put him to the test, to trip him up. Verse 25 tells us that was what was behind the guy's motivation. But Jesus doesn't take the bait. Instead, he listens. He asks a question, then he listens. And the lawyer says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you got that right. I mean, you are 100% absolutely correct in your head. What you're thinking is right. Now, 
Do that. Practice that in your life and you will have the eternal quality that you're, set, that you're at requesting. And suddenly the lawyer's conflicted. I mean, it's, uh, it, we're out of the classroom now and we're into the application. Knowing it is one thing, knowing it in your head, but then showing it to other people is another. So he kicks into his defense attorney mode and he goes to get some questions to define some terms of his own. He asks his own question, who is my neighbor. And here we learn another lesson about crucial conversation because Jesus in responding tells a story. He tells a story. He doesn't just give the bullet point bones of an answer to him. He paints a picture and, and it has muscle and heart and emotion in it. He says there was this traveler that was beaten, robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. And uh, a religious expert sees him, but he crosses to the other side of the road and passes by. A little bit later, a worship leader sees him, but crosses the road, passes by. A little bit later, a Samaritan finally sees him and has mercy. And he helps care for his wounds. He puts him up in a local inn and he tells the innkeeper, just put it on my tab. Now see, Jesus paints the picture in the story and then he says, what do you see? Paints the picture, what do you see? Ask the guy, verse 36, which of these three is the neighbor? So it's not just any story, you've already recognized. It is the story, the Good Samaritan story, one of Jesus' most famous. I mean, hospitals take their name from this story. Florida has a Good Samaritan law that tracks back to this story that Jesus told. So people in our day are still finding themselves in this story. So tell a story and many things make this story sticky. But the biggest sticking point, the, the super glue sticking point is Jesus makes a Samaritan the hero. In other words, he's entering the minefield of controversy. And mainly here, it's a racial one, but also religious and political. Jews at that time held Samaritans in contempt. They see them as racially impure, morally compromised, lesser than inferior people uh, who in the political ancestry had betrayed the faith, had sold out the nation and forfeited their identity. I mean, that's like worse than, than that embarrassing relative in your family tree that you hope will not come to the family reunion. I mean, this is a standing feud. The deep hatred between Jews and Samaritans had been raging for 450 years in this quarrel. And the disciples were caught up in it too. Uh, one time when Samaritans were not open to Jesus' ministry, Luke chapter nine, verse 54, James and John say this, Lord, what, you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? It's like, let's just nuke them. That'll solve it. So to use the words good and Samaritan together was an oxymoron. It's like they don't go together. They contradict each other, like loud silence or pretty ugly. You know, they, they're contrary to one another. But in telling the story, Jesus actually engages a tense situation in a way that gives his listener opportunity to, um, to step back from the searing, blinding heat of his own personal racism and into the common humanity that we share. The story's built on 
the value of respect, respect for others, responsibility for helping, and then redeeming grace, the power of grace to redeem what evil tries to destroy. And people, Jesus says, people who live like that are true neighbors. These are those who are loving their neighbors. And without even saying it, Jesus in this story shows that every human being, even those who disappoint us, even those who are different from us, who have a different history and a different race, are still due respect. That's what love looks like. That's what being a neighbor looks like. So the question really isn't, who is my neighbor? The question is, am I a neighbor? And sometimes a story helps us open our eyes wider than we typically see. Think about it. Every person in the story was used to seeing people through a certain lens, a certain way. The legal expert sees the wounded man as a hypothetical object to discuss. The robber sees him as a target to exploit. The religious see him as a problem to be avoided, so to avoid compromise. The innkeeper sees a customer to profit from. It's about the bottom line. The Samaritan sees a person to be cared for, a person worth loving. And Jesus sees every one of them and every one of us as someone worth dying for. The question that grows out of it is this. When you see people, what do you see? When you look at people, what do you see? You see people looking for a story that will give meaning to their life. Characters looking for a story to join then why not do something crucial and engage the conversation? I mean, tell them a story. You say, I don't know any stories. I say, you're living one. And so are they. So start there. I mean, to, to start the conversation, enter their story. Listen and ask questions. Be a neighbor. Start a friendship. Um, tell them your story. It's got ups, it's got downs, it's got ins and outs, lights and darks. I mean, you've, it's, you've got questions, you've got answers. And somewhere in there, my hunch is that God's love broke through into some place in your story and started helping, didn't it? Well, tell them that. How did that happen? And if that hasn't happened yet, then maybe today it could start for you. And Jesus would say to you, seek, you'll find Ask, you'll receive. You, uh, your story could start a new chapter today. And speaking of a new chapter, let's move our thinking to John chapter four where we enter another story. That story we just heard was Jesus laying out the principles, the blueprint for the plans. Here's how you do it. And then in John chapter four, we see him doing it, putting it into practice with a Samaritan. It's the hottest part of the day. A woman has come to a well for water. Jesus is also thirsty, so he strikes up a conversation. How? By asking a question. We just learned about that, didn't we? Will you give me a drink? And the question kicks her into a story because now she's playing one in her mind about, you're, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. There's a racial story that's about to explode here in an issue, and... Uh, and in fact, they're in Samaria where Jesus has chosen to go in his travels. You wanna do something crucial? Be open and willing to have contact 
with perhaps those larger than your familiar circle of influence. Jesus was willing to do that. He was open to a Jewish lawyer who had questions and initiated contact with him. And now he's open to a lonely woman of a different race where he initiates contact. Now I say lonely because as Jesus engages her story, it comes out that she has a history of difficult, if not failed relationships. Five husbands in her relational past and now the guy she's living with is not her husband. And when it, when it comes up in conversation, it's uncomfortable. She tries to change the subject. It's an awkward conversation. It's one of those crucial moments, right? Um, you've had them, I have them. She wants to change the subject. You know, something comes up that I really don't want to pursue. I'll change the subject. That's what she does. Only when she changes it, she drops like the religion bomb in there. She lights the fuse and expects it to blow up because Jews and Samaritans, you know, they don't agree on this stuff. So she's lighting the fuse of controversy, but Jesus isn't diverted. It's like he doesn't chase the rabbit. He doesn't join the shouting match. You know what he does? It's like he's saying, well, okay, religion, spiritual things. You know what? God is looking for people who want to know him in spirit and in truth. Is that what you're really interested in? A spirit encounter with the living God? So instead of being diverted by it, he invites her, he steps into her story and then invites her into his story as Messiah. And in the conversation, he helps her see that his story can mean a difference in hers. Well, you can do that too. You know, you can do something crucial. When the topic comes up, you can engage the conversation in such a way that shares your story and invites others into Jesus' story. You could invite them to church. That's how many of us got here. How did you come to Christ? Did somebody share their story? Did they invite you into his story? You can, did they say, could I pray for you? You could invite them to let you pray for them, to ask God's blessing upon them. You could invite them to ask Jesus to show himself to them. That was the first prayer in my spiritual life that was meaningful. Lord, if you're real, show me. Well, you can help somebody else know that's how it happened for me. And then let Christ's story help them, help you step beyond the barriers. When, they're, when they come up, the barrier of race, of politics, of arguments over morality or doctrine or religion, Jesus just sees them and then does something crucial. You can do something crucial. Engage the conversation like Jesus does and keep the conversation open and sensitive to the right moment to invite her to know him as Messiah. Verse 28 is telling. The woman left her water jar. You know why? She found what she was thirsting for. That spiritual thirst was now being drenched with the taste of living water from the Messiah's well of salvation. And things are gonna be different. When we share God's story of Messiah, we are sharing hope. What's God's story? Well, God, our creator, loves us so much that even when we go astray and the destructive forces of sin do their worst, God does not forget us, forsake us. He doesn't give up on us. He comes to us as one of us in the incarnation of Jesus Christ and then gives himself for us. That's the gospel. 
God comes to us as one of us and gives himself for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so now we can know him in a relationship of forgiveness of sin and fullness of spirit because we've been brought into his family. And as we turn from our ways to follow God's way, God's not making us religious. He's not interested in making us religious, but to bring us into relationship with himself, the living God. God's love comes alive in us. And that's vertically and horizontally. So not only in our relating with him and knowing him, but now every other person in our life and his living water filling and satisfying us from the well of salvation and then irrigating the relationships of our lives. That's a conversation worth having. It's crucial, in fact. Now, back to that awkward moment. Uh, Lisa and I were so excited. It was our first year in Miami. We'd been working hard, and now it was some time. It was time for some r and I mean, rest and relaxation. We'd never been on a cruise before, so you can imagine how excited we were. But as novice cruisers, we didn't know the drill. We were soon, soon to learn that we would be assigned a dinner table with guests, other guests. Some were couples, some were single, but each one a stranger to us <clears throat> as we were to them. And um, one guy in particular, that first night at dinner was loud and tacky, and uh, he was come a, from a county north of here that will remain unnamed, but he was so proud of his business, and he wanted to talk all about it, and yet while he was talking, he kind of got this cringy feeling that something inappropriate could come out of his mouth at any moment. You know what I mean? And, um, and, I, and I felt this question coming, and I was trying to think, what am I going to say? And sure enough, he asked, so what do you do? I was the first one he asked around the table. And um, before I tell you what I said, I want to tell you what was racing through my head. Uh, maybe you don't realize it, but sometimes having a pastor around changes the way people behave. Uh, like a friend of mine told me about a pastor walking up to the front door of a Christmas party, and as he approached the sidewalk to the door, he could hear the people laughing inside and, you know, the uh, sound of music and, and party going on. And, and when he enters, the room gets quiet, and somebody says, oh, pastor, we were just discussing the problem of world hunger. Well, you know, I really didn't have the energy or the desire to have to create a safe place for other people to be themselves on that cruise, and yet at the same time, uh, put myself suddenly in the place of being responsible for whatever crisis they were having. Oh, I'm so glad we have a pastor at our table. Can I tell you what's happening to me? No, I mean, I was pretty spent. I needed some downtime, and I just wanted to be with my wife on a cruise. And all of this is racing through my head, and, and he says, so what do you do? And I said, I say, um, you know, I love what I do. I wish everybody loved what they did as much as I love what I do. But I, we didn't come on this cruise to talk about what I do. So if you don't mind, I'd like to save that for later. And the guy was a little taken back, but <laughs> immediately everybody else around the table chimed in. Oh, yeah, that's great. Let's not talk about our, what we do. Let's not talk about work. And though he was a little bit, you know, disgruntled about it, he backed off and agreed, you know. So the last night of the cruise, we show, he goes, okay, you got to tell me, what do you do that you love so much? Are you a gynecologist? 
You run your own massage parlors? I mean, I told you, it's Mr. Tacky, right? And, uh, and I said, well, you're never going to believe this. But I'm a Baptist Christian pastor. No way! I said, way? <laughs> yes, I am, and I love it. And I love what I do. And then all, and then suddenly we went around the table and everybody said, you know, one person said, well, uh, one woman said, I'm a psychiatrist. And then another person said, I'm an agent with the IRS. And then another big guy said, I'm a county sheriff. And it, I was suddenly aware, it was clear to me that I'm not the only person who gets stereotyped or labeled or judged, or put upon, or put down by others, somebody's prejudice because of what I do. I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm a majority member white guy in America. So what that means is, I don't know what it feels like to be of another race, from another place, or to have people judge me by my accent or by my skin. But I still have fear about how others perceive me and will project on me whatever they're thinking and doing, right? And that creates some awkward moments where crucial conversations can be so helpful. How can we create the new conversation that will open the new chapter of understanding? Well, I can tell you how a new story of inclusion came into my life through this church. The... Uh, the pastor search committee that called me to come to this church when we first met looked like the crew to the space shuttle Challenger. I mean, there was a Jamaican, there was a Cuban, there was an Asian, there were two senior adult women, some, some white guys, you know, some uh, middle-aged white guys, and then a female elementary school teacher was the chairperson of the search committee that invited me to come for the church's decision to be pastor. They engaged some pretty crucial conversations with me that were affirmed in the direction we wanted to take together. And you know what? I want us to keep doing that with others that we can continue to enlarge the circle of God's family by doing the same thing Jesus did, the same thing they did with me, that we do something crucial, engage the conversation. How do we do that? Well, let's just take a quick review. Be open and willing to have contact. Whether you initiate it or they initiate it, engage, share a drink, share a meal, Tell a story, that's it, but it starts, that's how the conversation starts. Listen and ask questions, that's where it goes next. Before you speak, Seek to be understanding before you seek to be understood. Then next, tell a story. Listen to their story. Ask them questions about it. Then tell your story and share those, those ups and downs and ins and outs that happened, always being sensitive to that moment where you can share, here's how God broke through for me and invite them to experience God in their story. You don't have to force that. But as it comes up, let the connection develop and then determine to keep the conversation open as you continue to seek God's blessing. And as we do that, let's see the kingdom of God and the will of God be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, that you have initiated the conversation, you have engaged the conversation, and you desire every person who has ever breathed air on your earth to know you personally in relationship, including everyone connecting with us right now, to all of our guests and friends from around the world, to those across the nation, to those gathered in facilities right here in South Florida, and how we pray for every person right now to engage the conversation with you. We pray healing and understanding into relational tough situations, hard situations. May those hard situations become not stumbling blocks, but stepping stones into a closer relationship with you and others. And Father, we especially pray for someone today who is hungry like that, thirsty, hungry for you, like that woman at the well was, like that lawyer was, hungry to know your love. I pray that you would help them take a step beyond religion and into a personal relationship with you. And if you're wondering how that can happen, I would simply invite you to engage in prayer, a conversation with God. Lord, come into my life. Forgive my sins. Fill me with your spirit. As I turn from my way to walk with you in your way, would you lead me to become everything that you have in mind? And I thank you in Jesus' name. Now, our head's still bowed for a moment, but if you prayed that prayer with me and would let us pray for you, your next step of faith, a blessing on your next step of faith, then would you simply raise your hand and hold it up? Kendall Campus, Pastor Ralph is going to be praying for you today. If you're joining us online, there's an orange banner where you can click on that and allow us to join you in prayer at Pastor Carlos. Lord, thank you for each person who by uplifted hand is signifying an open heart and we pray that they would taste the living water by faith that you have promised when we receive Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.